evidence and answers. The two most prominent cities mentioned throughout the Bible are Jerusalem and Babylon. Today, the ancient city of Babylon lies in ruins, but the Bible predicts she will arise once again. When will she rise again? And what role will the city play at the end of the age? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Let's tune in now as Pat and Bible scholar Dr. Ron Rhodes discuss the rise of the new Babylon. Let me just say that the Antichrist is going to first come into power with the revived Roman Empire. This is going to be his launch pad, as it were, into global dominion. And in the first part of the tribulation period, there's going to be a false religious system that's affiliated with uh, Babylon, or what we might call New Babylon. And this false religion, I believe, is going to be used by the Antichrist to bring unity to the people of the world. So again, he starts out in this revived Roman Empire, and he uses the religion associated with New Babylon to start to bring total unity to the people of the world. But a big change happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period, which is three and a half years into the tribulation period. You see, at that point, the Antichrist himself claims to be God. He has no further use for this false religion associated with New Babylon. And so he does away with the false religion of New Babylon because he wants himself to be worshipped. He doesn't want any competing worship to take place. And it's at that time that New Babylon switches its entire focus from that of false religion to becoming a commercial and political center of the Antichrist. And I believe that the Antichrist will head up that political center. And here's the thing to keep in mind about it, Pat. Babylon is going to be a money machine in the second half of the tribulation period. It is going to be a commercial powerhouse. Money will be flowing in and money will be flowing out. And anybody associated with New Babylon is going to get rich in the second half of the tribulation period. That's what scripture seems to indicate. But we also know from other scriptures in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist is going to impose an economic system on the world such that you must take the mark of the beast. And only people who receive the mark of the beast will be able to buy or sell. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell. So what does that mean for New Babylon? It means that anybody who sells to New Babylon must necessarily have already taken the mark of the beast. And so not only does the Antichrist control New Babylon, he also controls the economy of the world with nobody being able to buy or sell who has not indicated faithfulness to the Antichrist by receiving his mark. And so that really catapults him into global power, both religiously and politically and economically. And so he's going to have total control over the people. Yes. Now, is it feasible that the Antichrist will be able to rebuild this great city of Babylon, you know, during the tribulation period? That's probably one of the biggest objections to the idea that it will be a literal Babylon. But I want you to recall with me that when the late Saddam Hussein was in power, he spent over $1 billion in oil money to enhance the city of Babylon. And in his case, a billion dollars accomplished the revival of the city in a rather rapid fashion. 
Now, when the Antichrist comes into power during the tribulation period and then into world power in the second half of the tribulation period, he will not only have unlimited funding, but he will have an unlimited workforce. Now, the problem with buildings today, Pat, is that you have limited funding and a limited workforce. And that's why you can take a long time for a building project to become completed. But if you have unlimited funding and an unlimited workforce, then he'll be able to accomplish this quite quickly. And I could promise you that whatever the Antichrist wants, the Antichrist will get. I personally believe that the money that's going to finance all of this is going to be the oil money that comes from the Middle East. In fact, one of the reasons why the Antichrist is probably going to set up headquarters in the Middle East in New Babylon is to control the oil reserves of the entire planet. If there's one thing that we've learned in terms of military, you know, not just national military of the U.S., but the militaries of all the different countries of the world, is that they all need oil. The jets need oil, the ships need oil, the tanks need oil, the Humvees need oil, everything needs oil. And you need gasoline, I mean, you need all kinds of fuel. Now just think about it. What better way to put a chokehold on the different militaries of the world than to control the outflow of oil? And I think that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do as he heads up New Babylon. He's going to control the haves and the have-nots in terms of who gets the the, uh, remaining oil supplies. And he'll use that as a means of controlling the governments of the world. And so uh, I, I think that that oil money, the profits that comes from that, will be what finances the rapid building of the New Babylon. Yes. Now, Ron, you mentioned, you know, how Saddam Hussein poured millions, if not billions, into the rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon. And are there any indications today that perhaps Babylon is rising once again? Well, what we do see today is what you might call a convergence of biblical prophecies, not just one, but many different biblical prophecies. What I'm seeing is, number one, I'm seeing the religious aspect of Babylon having the stage being set in our own day. If it's true that there's going to be a false religion associated with Babylon in the first half of the tribulation, then what we would expect today is false prophets and false apostles and false teachers and false doctrine. And we'd also expect to see apostasy in the Christian church. And we're actually seeing every one of those things setting the stage for the false religion of the end times. Now, we're not seeing so much in terms of the preparation for the political and economic Babylon that will take place at the midpoint of the tribulation, but really that's as we would expect it to be, right? Because they've not yet made a transition. They're going to make a transition in their emphasis. And I might mention to you, Pat, that this is pretty common in the world. Just look at some of the major companies of our world. Nokia, for example, was originally a pulp mill company that made paper. The company later bounced around a number of industries before getting serious about phones, and so now they're a phone company. They changed their emphasis. They follow the business principle that says adapt or die, out with the old and in with the new. Wrigley's gum. I mean, they originally used to sell soap and baking powder. They gave out chewing gum as sort of an enticement to their customers, but eventually their customers liked the gum more than the baking powder, and so they switched. Adapt or die, out with the old and in with the new. That's what New Babylon's going to do. Once the Antichrist sets up a false religion, out with the old religion and in with the new, the commercial powerhouse of the end times. 
Now, we're not seeing any stage being set right at this moment for that commercial powerhouse, but we are seeing the stage being set for religious Babylon, which will arise in the first half of the tribulation period. And uh, it's kind of scary when you look at it, because even within the Christian church, the apostasy has never been higher, which is one reason why we need apologetics ministries like never before. Ron, do you think the war in Iraq and what's going on in the Middle East has any significance with the rise of Babylon? Well, I do. And also, I, I think it also has a lot to do with the Ezekiel invasion, you know, both of those things. In terms of the Ezekiel invasion, what's interesting is that, you know, even just this last month, new agreements have been signed between Russia and Turkey and Iran. You know, it used to be that, that Turkey was solidly in the Western camp, you know, very favorable to the United States. But isn't it interesting that Russia has renewed commitments and signed new agreements this past month with both uh, Turkey as well as Iran? And so those alliances are being built up such that one day that Ezekiel invasion will take place. Russia will join with Muslim nations against Israel at some point in the not-too-distant future. Now, in terms of the rise of Babylon... I do see that Babylon itself is separate from the nations that invade into Israel. One thing that I want to communicate is that even though the Ezekiel invasion will, will be very destructive to the Muslim nations, that is not going to stop the ability of the Antichrist to move into that part of the world and subsume control of the oil wells and to rebuild ancient Babylon. In fact, what we might surmise, Pat, is that the destruction of the Muslims who used to live there opens the door for his rapid escalation. Now just think about how it all fits together, even in terms of the false religion of New Babylon. What are the two big groups that would stand against this false religion of the end times? Christians and Muslims. Now if Christians are removed at the rapture before the tribulation period, and if God removes the Muslim invaders and the Muslim nations at the Ezekiel invasion, that removes the two primary religious groups that would stand against the rise of the false religion associated with New Babylon. And so in a way that prepares the way for the rise of New Babylon's false religion. And since the Muslims are no longer there to assume political control of that area, that makes it much easier for the Antichrist himself to step into world dominion with his headquarters in New Babylon. And so to me, it's all fitting together like pieces on a puzzle. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, what we're seeing? And, you know, also one of the things shows you is that these alliances between Russia and these Middle Eastern countries can happen very quickly. They may be enemies one day, and then the next day they're in alliance together. And so it can move very rapidly, as you're saying. Well, that's right. And, and we also need to keep something in mind here, Pat, and that is that the Muslims and the Russians working together is nothing new. There's something called the Freedom of Information Act, in which uh, formerly classified data has been unclassified now, and we have access to data today that we didn't used to have access to. And so what I'm referring to, for example, is that uh, back in the 1970s, when a number of uh, Muslim nations, including Egypt and Syria were invading into Israel, guess who was providing the weaponry and the intelligence to these Muslim nations? It was Russia. Russia was working with Muslim nations against Israel. And that's one of the reasons why the United States stood so closely by Israel's side in order to protect Israel. 
Not only that, but you might recall that uh, back in the 1980s, a massive storehouse of prepositioned weaponry was discovered in Pakistan that was being stored for a future invasion into Israel. And Israel had to use something like 200 trucks, giant trucks, to get rid of it all. You know, Israeli intelligence officers discovered it, but those Russian weapons had been prepositioned for a future Islamic invasion into Israel. And so, you know, again, we find an example of the Russians working with the Muslims against Israel. And the point that I'm building up to is that when this big invasion finally happens, when the Ezekiel invasion takes place, it won't be the first time that the Russians have sided with the Muslims against Israel. But here's something to remember. God does not slumber, nor does he sleep when it comes to Israel. And God has also promised that no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. That's what God promises his people of Israel. So even though Israel will be greatly outnumbered, and even though Israel from a human standpoint will have no chance of success, God himself will come to the rescue of Israel and give a mighty testimony to himself. And I believe personally that that mighty testimony that God gives to himself is one of the reasons for so many conversions to Christ during the tribulation period. We read about the great crowd of the redeemed in Revelation 7. And so I think part of that great crowd comes from the fact that they see, you know, see God protecting Israel from this mighty invasion. Yes, and I think you and I have both been to Israel several times, and I think we're seeing that even today. I mean, the fact that Israel has survived these numerous attacks being vastly outnumbered is nothing short of miraculous. You know, I mean, after they became a nation in 1948, the day after they were invaded by the Muslim nations and really with no standing army with pretty much a national guard they defeated them the six-day war people tell me it's just incredible yeah. how so vastly outnumbered they were able to take that territory battle of yom kippur and others so what you're saying that god sustaining the nation of israel today is a display indeed of prophecy and his word uh, being true well it is you know even in the early 1940s there were great naysayers saying that Israel would never become a nation again. You know, even though there were preachers, Christian preachers, saying that one day Israel will become a nation again. Even in the early 1940s, Christian preachers were defending that truth, and they were being shouted down by unbelievers. But then the unthinkable happened in 1948. Israel became a nation again. And that's an answer to, uh, the, you know, what the ancient prophets said, you know, like 2,600 years ago. And the ancient prophet said that Israel would come back together again, just like bones in a skeleton would come back together again, and then flesh would come on the skeleton. That's the imagery that Ezekiel used in chapter 37 to describe the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And Ezekiel goes on to say that right after that rebirth of Israel, the Jewish people will stream back to Israel from every nation in the world. Now, Pat, that's never happened before. It's never happened before. In previous history, Israel has gone back to the promised land from a single nation where it was in captivity. For example, Babylon. Israel was in captivity in Babylon and then went back to the Holy Land after the Babylonian captivity was over. But never before in history have you witnessed Jewish people from every nation of the world returning to the Holy Land. But guess what? After 1948, when Israel became a nation again, 
Jewish people, in fulfillment of prophecy, have been streaming back to the Holy Land every single year. And Pat, I'm sure you're aware of the number one reason why Jewish people are streaming back to the Holy Land today, in 2019. It's anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. It is on the rise in Europe. It's on the rise in the United States. It's on the rise everywhere. And because of anti-Semitism on a global level, Jewish people like never before are streaming back to the Holy Land, and this is fulfilling scripture, which says that the Jewish people will stream back to the Holy Land after Israel becomes a nation. And then it's shortly after that scripture says, according to Ezekiel, that a massive invasion from the Muslims will take place. Now that part hasn't taken place yet, but it's gonna. One day it will, just like these other things have taken place. And so, you know, we're witnessing before our very eyes various prophecies being fulfilled. And not only that, Pat, you know, meanwhile, over in Israel, we're, we're finding preparations for the rebuilding of the temple. A lot of people haven't thought about this, but that temple doesn't have to be rebuilt until the middle part of the tribulation period. And yet, even today, preparations are being made for the rebuilding of the temple. The ancient Jewish Sanhedrin has come back together again, and that's necessary because it's the Sanhedrin that decides on who the high priest is in the temple. The Sanhedrin is now raising money for the rebuilding of the temple. The Sanhedrin has already contacted architects for designing the plans for the rebuilding of the temple. And meanwhile, various artifacts for the rebuilding of the temple are already being prefabricated. And so it's, it's like just a whole bunch of different prophecies are coming to pass in our own day, setting the stage for what will take place during the future tribulation period. So to me, these are exciting times to be alive. Yes, indeed. They're quite exciting times. And, you know, some people listening to us might be kind of trembling uh, in their shoes right now. And, you know, <laughs> should we fear the end times? What, what should our attitude be? I don't think that we should fear the end times. I think that there are aspects of the end times that can be scary, and we've talked about some of those things. But at the same time, prophecy was not given to make people fearful. And I think that there's a couple of things we can observe. First of all, prophecy can be evangelistic in the sense that it can get people's attention to their need to turn to Christ for salvation. That's what happened to me. Okay, I had never heard a prophecy before. And once I understood Bible prophecy, that led me to the conclusion that the Bible really must be God's word because only God knows the future. And so that led to me evangelistically to become a Christian. But number two, prophecy is also something that can build the faith of people who are already Christians. It can confirm and build up our faith. And the more that you study about Bible prophecy, the more your faith is increased. And I hope that some Christians who are listening today have had their faith increased as a result of listening. But third, Christ himself and God himself, often throughout Scripture, has a purpose in telling us the future. And it's not just so that we can have an intellectual knowledge of the future, but rather it is to affect the way that we choose to live today. Almost next to every prophecy in the Bible, you will find an exhortation to live righteously and to live in purity and to, and to repent of your lifestyle. And so the more that you hear about this, I mean, if it strikes any fear into your heart at all, let that be an impetus to turn from the sin in your life and to turn to the one true God in salvation. And if you're already a Christian and, and you've backslidden and you're not walking with the Lord the way that you should be, then let these words motivate you 
to turn about and to turn back to God and, and to recommit yourself to him. That's what prophecy should do in your life. I mean, Scripture says that's what it should do. And uh, I hope that those who are listening will take it very, very seriously, because we are living in the very days in which a lot of this stuff is being fulfilled. Yes, you know, what's going on in the world, you know, can cause you to be in despair. But uh, if you understand Bible prophecy and are interpreting it correctly, interpreting it correctly, then really you're seeing the unfolding of God's plan and how it's all coming to pass and that he is indeed sovereign and Lord over all of creation here. That's right, Pat. And, you know, the book of Revelation was initially written to Christians who were undergoing great persecution and uh, they were suffering martyrdom. They were being put to death by Roman authorities. And so the book of Revelation was given to them to encourage them. And uh, I remember when I was talking to Walter Martin about this book, and Walter Martin was my old boss. Walter Martin is the guy that wrote The Kingdom of the Cults and the Christian Research Institute. Yeah, Bible Answer Man, the, the real Bible Answer Man. <laughs> and I remember him saying to me, yes, Ron, I read the last chapter in the book and we win. Now, there's a lot of people who have said that, but it just reemphasized to me the truth of the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation closes with the fact that we're going to be with God forever and evil is going to be done away with. We're going to live face to face with God. We're going to have resurrection bodies. We're going to live on a resurrected earth in a resurrected universe. No more death or mourning or pain or suffering. And so when he said, you know, I read the last chapter in the book and we win, I mean, that really said it well. And once the readers of John back in the first century understood that truth, it comforted them greatly in the face of the martyrdom that many of them were facing back then. Not only that, but even when Jesus was talking about prophecy, let's say like in uh, John 14, verses 1 to 3, he's talking about the rapture there. And one of the things he says to them is, therefore, don't let your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God and have faith in me. In other words, don't be fearful about prophecy. Just trust in God. Trust in Jesus Christ. And then when the Apostle Paul is talking about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, right there in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So prophecy is encouraging to us. So I know there's many Christians who are suffering today, you know, and some Christians may even be depressed today that are listening to my voice. And if that's you, then let the words of prophecy be a comfort to you. Let them encourage you and build you up and strengthen your faith knowing that the way things are now is not the way things are going to be forever, but that God is in control of human history. And one day we will, in fact, be face to face with God. Fantastic words of exhortation here. You've been listening to our interview with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, a ministry that we highly endorse here at Evidence and Answers. You know, Ron, if people want more information about the things we've talked about today, but not only on prophecy, but apologetics, cult evangelism and others, where can they go? Well, aside from going uh, to your website, Pat, they can go to my website, which is ronrhodes.org, R-O-N-R-H-O-D-E-S.org. And we have a lot of stuff you can download for free, and we offer a newsletter for free, and we never ask for any money on it. And in fact, you know, if we can help you, then send us an email. And we don't ask money for that either. <laughs> yes. So we're basically here to serve the body of Christ. You know, we trust trust in God to make provisions for us, and he's never let us down. And so if there's a need that you have, you can either download whatever we have at our website, or you can send us an email. And if we can help, we will. 
Yes, fantastic. Ron Rhodes, author of over 60 books. I've uh, got about half of them, or maybe more than half, on my shelf or <laughs> on my Mac. I encourage you to go out there and get his material, fantastic material there. So Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. So Ron, thanks for being with us here again on Evidence and Answers. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Pat. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, please give him a call. Locally in Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts, like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.